This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 29th, the Uniform Crisis Edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's nine and a half. We live in Los Angeles. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another podcast called The Best Advice Show. I have two kids. My oldest, Noah, is five, and my youngest, Ami, is two. We live in Detroit. We've got an important question today about a teen who loves his junior ROTC program, except on Wednesdays, Uniform Day. He always struggles on Wednesdays and says he wants to quit. And more concerningly, he's mentioned unaliving himself. So as a content warning, we're letting you know now that we'll be discussing suicidal thoughts. That'll be coming after the second ad break, so you can cut out early if need be. And then on Slate Plus, we've got some requests for updates on my book and Zach's very cool projects. So we're going to take a little time to tell you where things are at with us and how the hell we're still finding time for creative pursuits that are all at once also our jobs. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll get if you have Slate Plus. It was definitely something that was out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways, you know, making like a site-specific museum piece or gallery piece, but it was so fun. Not only do you get a bonus segment from us every week, but you get to listen ad-free when you have Slate Plus. And it's not just us. You get all of Slate's content ad-free and you won't hit a paywall on our site. This show wouldn't be possible without Slate Plus memberships, so please consider joining if you can. You can sign up by going to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Again, that's slate.com slash momanddadplus. Okay, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting, but not before a quick break. See you back here in a second. All right, we're back. Zach, have you triumphed or failed this week? I can't claim the triumph for myself. I am going to note some triumphs from Noah because every week, Jamila, she's just impressing me so much with her with her panache and her her she's just so funny and so sweet. We're just coming off the the first Jewish high holiday of the year, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And this begins a big season of of holidays for for the Jews. Um, and we went to um, my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house for the last couple of days. We stayed there. They live about thirty minutes north of us in the in the suburbs of Detroit. They invited some of their family friends over for lunch yesterday. And my my wife comes from a big family. She's the youngest of four. Um, And all her older siblings brought their partners home. One of her older sisters has a kid. So it was a big crowded table. And then they invited their family friends over, um, two of whom are seven and six years old. And yesterday marked the first time that we could put Noah and Ami at the kids' table with these other cuties. Noah had done it before, but Ami has been kind of stuck to our laps during mealtimes mm-hmm. for the most part. But yesterday um, we put him there and we put him next to his sister. And I, I'm just looking over at the table of these four kids, you know, my two and then the seven and six year old. And Noah is like noticing that Ami is, you know, maybe a little uncomfortable and not quite himself yet. And I see her just like put her hand on his back and just like rub his back. Um, 
in such a sweet way and like the all four of them were kind of awkward Noah and Ami and then these two kids who they don't know very well were awkward for like two minutes but then you know within the first couple minutes they are just like having their own conversations and and feeding themselves and eating their meal and just like totally ignorant of the the parents who <laughs> were all just like you know beaming and just like watching it like it's a tv show but um you know it's this bittersweet feeling of of Noah um and Ami becoming independent enough to exist without us you know mm-hmm. which is it's such a great feeling that we can then you know have our own conversations as adults but of course it's also like oh my gosh they don't need us they need us in so many other ways but like in some fundamental ways like they they can coexist and they can depend on each other in in ways where just like a couple weeks ago they would have been depending on us and just just seeing that in real time has been such a special thing and especially around the Jewish holidays which are, you know, this these annual ritualistic events where, like, I can think back to who they were last year um, and then who they were the year before and just to just to note their evolving maturity and um, love for each other. It's, I find it very, very sweet and tender. Such a bittersweet moment when you start to see your kids able to, you know, when you can take them places and they can just interact with other people without you having to, like, guide every step or hold their hand that is, quite the feeling but it'll make those family social gatherings so much nicer for you and your wife oh my god totally like enjoy the adult yes yes finally yeah it feels great yeah how about you what's going on with you apparently i've just been failing for a while uh I, i found out this morning we were getting dressed for school and i forgot what i said that naima was displeased by but she gives me the evilest look and like she, I walked away from her and like, she stepped into the bathroom and like, she steps at like, before she gives me like, I guess she gives me the look, but I'm walking away. So I don't see it. So like, she comes back and stands there giving me the look to make sure that I don't miss it. And once I turn around and see her, she's like mission accomplished. And she walked away, but she just wanted to shoot me this look real quick. And it was a doozy. And I said, Naima, you are so mean. And she said, oh, if I said that you were mean every time you gave me a mean look, I wouldn't like you at all. Oh. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that was harsh. I didn't have to call her mean. I forget that she's very sensitive to that stuff. You know, like it's one thing to say that was mean or what a mean look, but like to say okay. you're mean, okay. you know, it's a value judgment. Okay. And Naima doesn't play that. Apparently not. So I messed up. But what was she? What 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 caused her mean look? I don't even remember. I wish I remembered the conflict. I don't know if it wasn't hair for once. I don't know. It was something relatively small, you know. Like because I know I laughed it off because Naima is mean. <laughs> I'm where I'm here, where I am free, where I know that she is not going to access this material. Right. I can say that Naima can be a little mean to me sometimes, you know. Um, and I address it in real time. I don't just let it slide. But sometimes I just laugh at, you know, like, I laugh it off. Like, okay, Naima, you're just you're being silly. This is not worth a big reaction. And that's what I was attempting to do when she gave me the mean look. And then apparently I found out I am the queen of mean looks. Did that come as a surprise? It did. Because I'm like, do I do that often? And I will say, I don't yell. Like, I try to, you know, like, exp- maybe I do try to explain my displeasure on my face you know as opposed to like raising my voice but i mean displeasure is different from mean though yeah like 
I, don't, I give her a lot of quizzical looks. Uh -huh. There are many. What were you thinking? What was that? Why was that? You know? Is she starting to... I was talking to a mother the other day. Um, it's funny. This is at, at Temple yesterday. On Rosh Hashanah, she... She told me that her daughter started to get her period. Um, people mm -hmm. just tell me things, Jamila. Um, I understand. Uh, and she said that, you know, with that, her daughter, who I know is older than your daughter, but her daughter is now blaming the mother for just everything in the entire world. Or do you get some of that? You just get, does not even oh, just yeah. blame you for stuff that you, blame you have nothing everything. to do with? Everything. And like, I have my own, like, I would do that to my mom too. Like, if she said it's gonna rain, it's gonna <laughs> rain. It's her fault, right, you know. Right, like right. I, I like I definitely blame my mom for everything. Mm -hmm. So I get, you know, she comes by it honest, but I try to call it out. I'm like Naomi, you literally, like I wish I had an example, but it'll be something so small. You know what I mean? Like she drops something, and it's like you looked at me too hard. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, yeah, for like, sure, for that sure. That made me drop it. Yep, yep. So bless her heart. I will work on my meanness. And we're going to take another <laughs> quick break. We'll see you guys back here for our listener question. Let's dive into our listener question. Dear mom and dad, my 14-year-old chose to go to a local magnet school for junior ROTC. He's a freshman and seems to really be enjoying the camaraderie, the physical training, and the teachers. But every single Wednesday, which is uniform day, he mentally and emotionally crashes. And more worryingly, he messages me about thinking about unaliving himself. First, we, me and him, thought it was because of a lack of sleep. The new year just began and his schedule is much busier. And now I'm thinking it's anxiety, really, really bad anxiety. As a former Marine, I've talked to him about the reality of uniforms. He doesn't need to be perfect every Wednesday. Sure, he'll get some points off occasionally, but that's totally all right. I've told him to try not stress out if you have a wrinkle, a scuff, etc., etc., and in the aftermath of Uniform Day, my advice tends to work until the new week rolls around. Today, he told me he wants to quit ROTC solely over Uniform Day. I'm not against that option, but it will mean he needs to leave his new school, and there's so much he does enjoy about ROTC. I don't know. What would you all do? Would you pull him out to go to a new school? Would you try therapy and the pediatrician first before taking that step? We're currently waiting on an appointment with the therapist, and he goes to his dad's every two weeks, so he's there at the moment. So, I'd love some advice. Thanks. At a loss. So, Zach, what do you think? Okay. The first thing is that you should definitely be sending your, your child to therapy or going to therapy with them if they are having these, these suicidal thoughts. And I'm also curious, like, when these messages are coming. Are they just coming on Wednesdays, on uniform days, like clockwork, or are they coming all the time? And then that this uniform thing is just kind of, you know, layered on top of these, these suicidal thoughts. So there's a lot of questions that I have about this. Your son having, having suicidal thoughts is obviously a massive red flag that no matter where they're going to school, you need to have them in therapy for. Um, and then there's all, there's all these sub questions that I have about the uniform. What clothes does he wear um, on non-uniform days? Is his stress coming from getting points off, like you mentioned, or having wrinkles in the uniform? Is it, Or is it like more of a philosophical uh, issue with, with uniforms in general? Like I know he chose this school, but does he have like a critique of, of uniforms or of ROTC uniforms in particular? 
And I know he chose this particular school, like you said, like he likes the camaraderie and the physical training and stuff. But like, is it in spite of like the ROTC ethos or does he like the ROTC stuff, but just not the uniform part? Um, And so like the main thing that I'm just want to untangle here is are the suicidal thoughts is the anxiety just because of the uniforms or are the uniforms a stand-in um, for something much bigger? So I would like to know a lot more. Yeah, I would definitely like to know more. I wish we did. Um, but I co-signed Zach that the headline here is the suicidal ideations. And that is not something that you want to wait to address. Um, you want to get him into therapy as soon as you possibly can. And you want to, in the meantime, have serious conversations about the gravity of suicide, the, you know, that this is a big reaction to a problem that I know you can handle, you know, that uniform day is difficult. And, you know, further along in this conversation, you can talk about the possibility of this might not be for you. You know, but I don't want to, you don't necessarily need to lead with that, especially considering that he chose this school for himself and maybe really invest in the idea of being a part of ROTC indefinitely um, or throughout the duration of his high school career. But what's urgent is that, you know, he comes up with a way of coping with stress that does not make him feel like he doesn't want to be here anymore. And you need to identify the source of that stress and figure out if that is something that he can handle, you know, because uniforms are a reality of military life, period. If he intends to have a military career, you know, and there are people that are interested in ROTC just for a while they're in school, and then there are people that, you know, have a vision of a future in the military, uniforms are going to be a part of his life for a significant amount of time. And, and uniforms that are going to be inspected and appraised by other people, you know? And so I, I would imagine that if it is the uniforms that are causing him the anxiety, it's not the act of wearing them, perhaps. It's the idea of being scrutinized and being judged and, you mm. know, being possibly deemed inadequate, mm. you know? And so I, I can see how it could be an ins- a, a very anxiety-inspiring event probably for a lot of kids. But yeah. if it's causing him this level of anxiety, you need to see if that's something that he's able to deal with long-term. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm also curious just about what are the other ways in which uh, kids are subjected to, you know, being observed in this junior ROTC. I was going to say, I feel like there's a lot of assessment relative to the sort of classes you would be taking at 14, you know, marching and physical activity, memorization, sitting upright like all these things that yeah um, you might not saluting uh-huh. somebody yeah uh it's a big undertaking you know i mean like it's you're very like 14 is very fucking young to be like i want to do military stuff you know like it just is yeah. it's an extremely mature undertaking for an extremely young group of people that go into JROTC. Yeah. Um, and the le- and- like the letter writer is a former Marine. And I wonder, you know, how much of this kid wanting to go to this school is like, like, is he just trying to, to please you? Yeah. Or is it like he really likes to do it? So really separating, you know, what, what it is about this place that he does like, because it sounds like there is some great camaraderie that he's, he's proud of himself. These are all, these are all great things, 
but yeah. just getting at like why he wanted to do it in the first place is, is probably a pretty important question. And it's one that, you know, you, pr- you probably have asked yourself already, but I'm just thinking out loud um, as we, as we zoom out here and just kind of think about what your kid is going through. I think you should also ask, you know, has he ever felt that way at other times? You know, in, in terms of feeling like he doesn't want to be here anymore. Is this something that happens frequently? Is this something that only has happened on, you know, a handful of Wednesdays? Um, tapping into like what that's looked like for him yeah. and talking to him about things that he can do when he has those feelings, such as letting, you know, the most important one being letting someone else know right away, mm-hmm. you know, that he's not keeping it to himself. Yeah. You know, and also remember that he's, valued and loved outside of how well he does or does not do in ROTC. Understanding his relationship to this work and, you know, determining with the support of a therapist if he can safely continue. And there are other schools out there, you know, and this may be a good fit for him in other ways. But if him being there is contingent upon him being in ROTC and he can't function in that environment, that, you know, will just have to be what it is. And I'm also wondering what the social work setup is at the school. Like this, this, this isn't the first time a kid has floundered in some way or resisted uniforms in ROTC. Do they serve the same function as they do in other schools? Or is it like you're trying to get them on board with, with the program? So there's a lot here. Um, and we would love to, to learn more if you feel like responding at a loss. We hope that this has been helpful to you and we would really appreciate to, you know, um, stay in touch. Let us know how we can be of service to you. Everyone else, if you or anyone you know are ever in a crisis, you can always contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline anytime at 988. You can also go to 988lifeline.org for more information on suicide prevention. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds bright and early on Monday, so be sure to tune in. If you have any questions for us, send us a voicemail or email us at slate.com. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Chrissy Taiwo Macanjola and Rosemary Belson. For Zach Rosen and myself, I am Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening. All right, Slate Plus listeners, uh, let's keep going. We thought it would be cool to check in about how we're balancing working and parenting and still finding some time somehow for creative pursuits. Zach, uh, according to what I've seen on Instagram, you have a very fun and interesting looking project going on with an art gallery. Do you not? Yeah, this has been really fun for me. So I work on I work on four podcasts, uh, this being one of them, Best Advice Show being another I produce and edit a couple more. So podcasting is your bread and butter. That's yeah. That's how you pay the bills. That's that's it. Yeah. Um, And then every once in a while, a cool little project will, will emerge, which is what this gallery show is a year ago. 12 artists were convened um, by these cool curators here in Detroit, six visual artists and six writers um, were brought together to kind of create these iterative works based on change and specifically based on uh, the work of Octavia Butler. The, the end result of those collaborations was this gallery show that just opened a couple weeks ago here in Detroit at this amazing place called the Scarab Club. Um, and I was asked to make like an audio layer, like an audio installation to uh, to live 
um, within this show. And so I made these 10 really short pieces, like 30 to 60 seconds, which can be accessed with a QR code. It's also online. I worked with um, a lot of the artists um, as part of the show to create these little like short somatic exercises in which the gallery goer could like put the headphones on and like do a change practice. I call them a, a change mm. practice. So like, you know, things about uh, coming back to your breath and, you know, um, thinking about how apologizing is this kind of fundamental um, practice that we're also bad at and that we can try. So um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, they're kind of like little mini best advice show episodes, but they're kind of in response to the work um, that these poets and writers and visual artists put together. So it was definitely something that was out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways, you know, making like a site-specific museum piece or gallery piece, but it was so fun. And I'm so glad that I got to do it. And it was like a great way to kind of creatively stretch um, outside of the the confines of, of my normal stuff, which is podcasts. That is so cool. It was really fun. How's the book coming? Oh boy. Um, is there a name for it, by the way? Ooh, there's a working title. Um, the working title is She Bad Notes on Love, Hate, and Baby Motherhood. Okay. She Bad seems to remain kind of like no matter where the book travels. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, I, I like I just kind of see that as, you know, remaining the title. But we'll see, you know. Okay. Um. I'm maybe 40% done. It's been quite a challenge, but the book is going. Um, I think that in spite of me not being as close to the finish line as I'd like to be, I'm like a chapter, like a month behind, I guess, my like ideal timetable, you know, it's so like not in danger, just like a month behind, you know. How close are you working with an editor at this point? Not close at this point. Okay. You know, every editor is different, but this seems to be the more common experience for most of the writers that I've been talking to lately. She gets more closely involved and we're closer to done. So if I had like eight chapters, you know what I mean? Then I could say like, I'd like for you to start editing as yeah. opposed to, you know, just kind of like handing off notes here and there. But um, it's therapeutic in certain ways and triggering in others um, because there's a lot of personal stuff there. Mm. I definitely think that's been a part of like the holdup, you know, like why it doesn't just flow out of me. Because I'm like, I've had to revisit some, you know, not just difficult moments from my own life, but even like difficult moments from pop culture, you know, like, like most what? of this is like, like the Clarence Thomas, yeah. Anita Hill stuff and Mike Tyson. And, mm. you know, um, at some point I intend to go into OJ Simpson and, mm-hmm. you know, like these are just uncomfortable subjects. Yeah. So it's like to be constantly surrounded in that, kind of how I ended up getting out of like the nine to five journalism world that I was in to a certain extent, you know, because it's like, it's really overwhelming to like be ensconced in yeah. like kind of the worst of our experience, yes. you know? Yes. Do you have um, breakthroughs on occasion where you're figuring I stuff do. out on the page? I am. Yes. I have breakthroughs on occasion. You know, they happen at all sorts of times. Sometimes it just happens while writing, sometimes it could be while driving or taking a walk, you know, just trying to flesh through an idea. Yeah. And I just have like a moment. It's like, aha, like yeah. that's the beginning of a chapter or that's, you know, the thing I'm trying to unlock. So I think it's going well. Um, I'm sure it's going to be great, Jamila. I'm very excited for this. So you have this deadline of January for the draft. When can we expect to, to read this book? The book is coming out in the fall of 2024. 
So oh, okay, so we got some time. We got some, we got some time. Okay. Yes. I wish I could talk more about the other projects that I'm working on. They're just like not public yet, which is very much on brand for being in LA, you know, working on things that are in development. Um, I can say I'm part of a team developing a TV show. Oh my God. Um, and you're one of the writers slash producers. Yes. Oh my God. Um, what a, what a freaking bomb you just dropped there. That's so exciting. Thank you. Still in the early stages. We've got a long way to go, but you know, that's something I've been working on for a while. And I have another TV project that I can't talk about that is, you know, paid. Cause like when you're developing something that is, you know, you're developing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but I do have something that's like a project that's actually gotten started and it's going to air on TV and people see it and I'll be proud of it and stuff. Um, so I am, out here working the book is the majority of my time but i am taking on other creative projects as well have you written on a show before i have not that's no. so cool it's possible that i could end up in a room for an existing show but i think it's more probable that i'll end up working on a show that i helped to create you yeah. know just kind of feel like where i'm coming in from the industry and kind of like at what point in my career and what time in my life you know because i can't afford to be a writer's assistant and work my you know like start at the bottom and hope to get hired on my favorite show. Like I mm-hmm. kind of have to like create the show that I want to see mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and try to sell it. <laughs> that's what Gandhi said, right? Yes. Uh, well, that's cool. I'm so excited to see that, to read the book. Lots of exciting stuff coming up. We're doing big things over here. Yes. Well, thank you slate plus listeners for supporting us here, there and everywhere. Uh, we appreciate you and we will be back on Monday for a regular show and back on Thursday for another bonus segment. Talk to you then.